Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the podcast. This episode of the Mark and Martin's Revolution is brought to you by Vodcast TV, Johannesburg's premier shared podcast studio platform. If you've ever wanted to host your own podcast for yourself or your business, there's simply never been a better place to do it. Visit vodcasttv.com forward slash revolution now and get yourself a discount on your first order of a podcast. A revolution is a fundamental and relatively sudden change in political power. An organization which occurs when the population revolts. revolts. This is the Marco Martins Revolution, powered by Broadcast TV. Visit BroadcastTV.com for more. My guest today is not only Pretoria's most eligible bachelor, he is also a corporate mogul and a fucking rock star. (laughs) Carlos Sanchez, a.k.a. Jesse Switchblade, welcome to the show. Hey, Marco, how are you doing? You good? Good, good, brother. Good, good. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Yeah, I think we've tried this before. We tried this once before. Yeah. And uh, my fuck up meant that... Act one, scene we couldn't two. do it. Yeah, <laughs> let's do it. Let's so, do it. So last time we started talking about football. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, can we avoid that? <laughs> let's avoid that today. Although you're a West Ham fan, so uh, that's mean, not too bad. It depends on how I feel in the morning. Right. Yeah, yeah. I'm currently supporting West Ham. Okay. But um, I could change the United if they go on a run. <laughs> yeah. I think it, it's good to have a like a premier side. Yeah, yeah. Like a really top tier yeah. side because then you've got chances of winning titles, right? That's always going to be a thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Then you've got the, these chances of winning titles, but then it's good to support another team where the ambitions are different, where you're sure. happy with I think sixth place or you're happy those, with Those it. are better teams to support, man. It's just um, less stress. <laughs> it's less disappointing, right? Yeah, yeah, of course, of course, because, um, you know, those, those teams don't, don't set high targets, you know? Um, a lot of them just want to finish in the Premier League, you know, mm. so they can continue playing their trade in the the Premier uh, Football League in, in, in England, well in Europe, I suppose. Um, and uh, I think, um, look, I've been a Man United fan since 1989, so it's been a long time. Mm. Um, when I started supporting United, a few years later, they went on that run. Yeah, you know the Ferguson years, and um, I suppose as a Man United fan, after that, your expectations are so high that after you know post 2013. Um, I don't think Man United fans, well, especially our generation, are used to losing. So it was a very hard pull to swallow. Um, I've been doing the West Ham thing on and off since sort of the 90s because mm. they, um, my favorite band's Iron Maiden and they're Iron Maiden's um, team. In fact, Steve Harris, Iron Maiden's bassist, played for them for the under-19s in the 70s, late 70s. How's that? And he was either going to turn professional as a footballer or carry on with the uh, with the, the band, band dream. And then he went and he formed Maiden. This sounds like Lars Ulrich, the tennis player. I mean, it's crazy. It's crazy. It just shows you how talented these guys are. Yeah. So I've always had a soft spot for them. Over the years now, I suppose, with all the, 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 the in Afrikaans, they call it pain in laden, <laughs> pain and suffering of being a Man right. United fan. I've... Uh, slowly started shifting over to West Ham. I suppose it's, it's uh, less expectations. So when they do do well, like currently West Ham are doing really well, it's like they've just won the Champions League. So it's, um, yeah, you know, you lesser the expectations and then you're happy all the time. Enough about football. We've bored the hell out of people enough with that. Yeah, look. Uh, Iron Maiden's your favorite band. Yeah. I wore, I wore a band t-shirt for you today. I see that, I see that. I I'm impressed. Motley Crue, that's a great album. That was the last... Um, 
album they recorded where they were completely uh, strung out on heroin and all sorts yeah. of wonderful things. And then after Motley Crue, after the Girls, Girls, Girls tour, the majority of them went into rehab yeah. and changed their ways. And then they came out to me with uh, 89. They released Dr. Feelgood, where they were actually all sober, believe it or not. Yeah. It's probably and their best album as well. It's their best album, yeah. Sober? Well, it's their best album, period. So... Yeah, there's 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 a there's a big fallacy that you write better music when you're on drugs or when you're stoned. I don't know, eh? I've uh, never performed well when I've been when I've drank too much or whatever the case may be. Whenever I'm sober and I'm clear is when I give my best performances. I think that's uh, it's certainly a fallacy. Certainly a fallacy. Um, but there is evidence to support it in certain ways. So I think expansive mind drugs, not necessarily numbing stuff like heroin, but sure. uh, LSD, what that did to music specifically. No, sure. What sure. LSD did to music is y- you can't even um, quantify it. It's still unquantifiable. I still don't know if the music was better though. No, but, written. but if you look at how music, if you look at how music changed, it changed music today. It really did. I mean, Jimi Hendrix. No, sure, and in and in a lot of facets. Um, not only in um, guitar orientated music, but also mm. electronic music. Of course. Um, you know that 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 well, late that late sixties revolution in San Francisco. The, you know the hippie era and the all biggest that, revolution all the experimentation. In, the biggest revolution in electronic music was technology. Yeah, it's just creating more synthesizers, allowing creative people yeah. to create more sounds and things like that. So I think the development of the technology, the synthesizer, is one of the most important inventions in music history. No, sure, sure, sure. But I'm a lot a lot of those people that were at the forefront of the. Uh, that sort of hippie revolution in the late 60s, early 70s there, San Francisco, and they did all that experimentation with, with LSD and everything. A lot of them sort of towards the the end of the 70s had moved over to electronic music. I mean, there was a huge movement where, mm. what is that guy called? Goa Dave. The guy left San Francisco and went and formed a colony in Goa in India. And that's where they started that psychedelic trance movement, also very much um, powered by DMT and, and, and uh, LSD and things like that. Yeah, and I think I think that accelerated a change in music that's no longer necessary for you to be creative, right? I think sure. those expansive drugs helped people develop a new sound and introduce that new sound to a larger sure. public. But at this point, do you need to expand your mind to create art anymore? I think because we've had all the influence from those LSD musicians from the 70s yeah, yeah, yeah. and 80s, I think that it's no longer necessary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where yeah look, you people can't go very far now make creative music i think we've gone as far as we can i mean i think uh trap is the most out there at the moment and i don't think you can go much further than that you know you've had trap you've had trap music yeah you've had power noise you've obviously had extreme death metal and whatever i Mm. think you know you you can't go more extreme than all of those you know there's ludicrous i mean there's like a a speed uh, there's a type of like speed trance genre yeah i don't even remember what it's called yeah i've heard that that's just Incredibly noisy. I think the word you're looking for is terrible. It's horrible. <laughs> it's disgusting. Yeah. <laughs> Which is what a lot of people would say about thrash metal. No, and sure, you sure. are a big thrash metal fan. Yeah, that's that's my go-to genre. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's it's very noisy. It's very loud. It's very difficult to listen to. It's not something you can put on yeah. in the background and just, like, enjoy your It's good your to wash day. dishes. It's good to wash dishes, too. Is it good to wash dishes? <laughs> How quickly do you wash the dishes? I mean, very fast. But, I mean, yeah. you'll break a few things along the way, but... So I think, and and again, thrash metal even itself is diverse, right? You get Metallica thrash metal, where you yeah, have the you get, early days of like yeah. Kill 'Em All album, yeah. and then you get thrash metal 
of more modern bands. Yeah. Or even if you look at Slayer versus Metallica. Yeah, and you yeah. look at when Slayer are really thrash metally, it's very hard to listen to. Yeah, you you, you kind of get you kind of get three different types of thrash. Um, you get your your sort of original old school Metallica thrash, um, which is the easiest to listen. Which to is the easiest the to listen musical, to. Right? Which mm. you know, Megadeth, Testament, they fall into that. Then you get your more, gr- but I mean, that's got more singing mm. as opposed to screaming. Then you get your Slayer, your Slayer esque type thrash that's got more screaming as opposed to singing. Mm. At your Death Angels, your Slayer. Although I mean, Death Angels vocalist. Uh, Marcus Aguero is a great vocal. I mean, yeah, I was a great vocalist, but um, it's quite, it's very manic. Mm. You know, I think uh, if you've got uh, anxiety, it's not great for you. You know, <laughs> it's very manic. It's very in your face. It's fast. And then you get crossover, um, which is like your, uh, so I mean, thrash originally is just faster punk music with a hell of a lot of distortion. Now your crossover, they sort of celebrate the, the, those punk skate roots even more. So when you listen to it, it's got a little bit of, it's got a little bit of rap, it's got a hell of a lot of punk, um, and that's kind of your suicidal tendencies and your anthraxes and those type of things, you know. So um, that most probably gave birth or gave, was one of the biggest sort of influences uh, to to new metal. Mm. I mean, if you think about what anthrax was doing in the late eighties, and then they did um, they did their uh, they did that collab with Public Enemy. Um, I mean, which was a full-on hip-hop. I mean, Public Enemy, along with NWA, were like the two biggest hip-hop acts in those days. And um, they released that, I think it was an EP, and then they had that song, Bring the Noise. Um, I think that that created, uh, that was a blueprint for for new metal. I mean, it was they were doing rap and, and metal years before Korn and Rage Against the Machine were doing it. But of course, a lot of these metal inspirations are inspiration around you and of course your own personal band. A lot of it is influenced by... Megadeth, Metallica, Anthrax, yeah, the, the yeah. thrash metal music from the 80s and 90s. Yeah. Um, but it's not all you listen to. No, no, not at all. <laughs> um, I mean, look, heavy metal is a big, big part of who I am. I always tell people it's uh, the closest I'll get to a religion. You know, it's, mm. um, it's, very, it's very personal to me. It's helped me through a lot of t- um, you know, tough times. Uh, and when I talk heavy metal, I'm talking the broader genre. I'm talking thrash death black whatever um but i enjoy i enjoy hard rock i enjoy um alternative i enjoy grunge i was big into grunge in the 90s you know i um fell for that kurt cobain nirvana pearl jam Alison chains thing hook line and sinker um i suppose we were we were depro kids back in the day with mm. our baggy corduroy pants <laughs> i'm a few years younger than you so i think i missed that one yeah you and, just uh, look it was a depressing i started off with blink 182 it was a so. depressing time i've i've dipped my toe in that in that uh, pond but uh yeah, not for me. Um, but yeah, I've listened to a bit of punk. I, I love uh, electronic music. I've done most of the electronic genres, uh, from psychedelic trance to bubblegum trance to techno, um, to that German dark techno, to um, electronic body music, which is basically gothic dance music, to dark wave. Um, yeah, I suppose, you know, it depends on the mood, really. Mm. Uh, I've been listening to a hell of a lot of Lana Del Rey lately. So it happens when you go through a breakup. <laughs> But um, I think only woman I'm supposed to listen to Lana hey, Del Rey off a breakup. She's, she's a great lyricist. Mm. <laughs> um, yeah, and I the mean, new Adele album, right? That's like haven't a heard breakup that yet. album. I haven't heard that yet. I also haven't heard the new ABBA album yet. Gosh, <laughs> ABBA, if there's anything I hate. I can't hate. believe they released the new one after all these years. If there's anything I hate, it's ABBA. Really? I mean, And I get so much hate for saying that. I don't know why people like them. It reminds you of Christmas. My dad used to always... Uh, he had these... Um, Limited edition ABBA vinyls you'd always whip out around in be- Christmas in between time. the Boney M and the Modern Talking. <laughs> mm. 
So it's just, it's nostalgic, I suppose. You know, how can you not listen to Dancing Queen or Mamma Mia and not feel... It kills me. No idea. It kills me. I'm a little bit like that with the Bee Gees for some weird reason. I like the Bee Gees though. Yeah, I don't know. Something about the Bee Gees just... Uh, it's really high pitch vocal. Yeah, it could be that. The Gibber Brothers. Yeah, it could be that. But or, just, or do you have something against Australians? No, not at all. I, in fact, I think for many years I was a closet Australian cricket fan. <laughs> Don't say the, that too loud. <laughs> during the Shane Warne Brett Lee days, yeah, you can't tell that to South Africa. They were no. hammering us back in those days. Yeah, but um, yeah, I suppose you know, with music, you know, like um. Years ago, I was so obsessed with heavy metal, and if you didn't listen to metal, you were fucking, you know, you were like a loser, and yeah. this, that, and the other. And then I remember um, I was in a band with a with a guy called Lani van der Valt, and uh, he's a, he's a well, he's, he's a quite a famous muso in the in the scene. He owns Volmer Records, um, recording studio in Pretoria North. He was in um, some important bands in the nineties. Not my dog played for Pete Butter and Jack Hammer. And um, so he was our bassist in a Metallica tribute project we had called Gunship. And at the time, um, his daughters were still young. They were like, I think, nine, ten, round about there. And um, I think Justin Bieber came or some some pop star, and he had to take his daughters there. And I remember saying, sure, dude, you know, um, what a waste of a night for you. And he's like, you know what? As long as Justin Bieber's music is making my daughters happy, then music is is ultimately winning. And I think that's the bottom line. I think everyone is so obsessed with what they listen to and genre and, ooh, I don't listen to that. I and think especially anyone who's into an alternative genre, I think, right? yeah, like if, if, music, metal, if music makes you happy, metal is extremely alternative yeah. as a genre. It's such a niche yeah. genre. It's not popular like dance music, etc. Sure, sure. And you'll speak to people who are in any of these niche genres and it becomes such an important part of their identity and why they're so different. 100%. That criticizing anything else especially something mainstream makes them more important yeah and i think that's the trap that we all fall into if we like an alternative genre is that it's our point of importance and it shows how much more cultured we are or intelligent we are whatever to what the mainstream masses just and i I suppose also i don't know if it's that bad now um, but i mean growing up you know, you know, we just come out of apartheid and, you know, we were going through the satanic panic in the 90s. You know, middle were super ostracized. You know, you know, you were satanist and you were this and you were that and you were bad seeds. And, you know, um, so you, you end up defending your own. You become really passionate about, you know, if it's, you know, like if it's not metal, it's crap. So you actually end up um, developing this identity because you've been bullied into it, you know. Now I think it's a little bit different because there's so many more extreme genres, even in, in electronic music. And then I think also because your community is bigger because of the internet, right? You meet no, sure. other people who like what you exactly. like. Exactly. So then you don't feel you don't countries. feel you don't feel so so marginalized. Exactly. It's not you and your four buddies from school, the yeah. only four people in your whole school who like yeah, metal music. You know, the, the you know, Satanists. Like, so yeah. so that's the thing. Um, and I think and, and, and metalheads are, are big gatekeepers, you know, the big custodians of 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 it all because of of how they were treated. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, music and especially alternative music and the more extreme forms of music, um, if it's making you happy or if it's making anybody happy, then music has served its purpose. Mm. No one person ever picked up an instrument to upset someone else or to be down or to, you know, they do it to, to, to bring joy into their lives and into other people's lives, I suppose, as, as musicians. So, um, so it, it was such a simple statement, but it was so profound, you know, as long mm. as Justin Bieber's making my daughters happy, then music has served its purpose. And I mm. was like, Wow. You know, and that really changed my mentality towards a lot of these things because I was like, you know, you closed yourself off to a lot of mainstream music. Yeah, you do, and, and you actually do enjoy the stuff. Like, I mean, going back to 
to the Abbas and whatever. You know, growing up, as I started getting into heavy metal, I was like, oh, yuck, I don't want to listen to Abba. Oh, yuck, modern talking. All these years later now, I mean, I go back, I mean, stuff will be on. I won't change it. <laughs> you know, back in that techno revolution, Too Unlimited and those things, you know, I would, you know, you wouldn't catch me dead listening to that. Now I've got a little playlist on my Spotify with Dr. Alban and 24-7 and because <laughs> it's like, no, nah, it's cool. I'm allowed to. <laughs> I remember Dr. Album. That's a that's some nostalgia for me. Yeah, Dr. Album, eh? Sing hallelujah. Yeah. <laughs> it's very Portuguese. <laughs> and snow. Snow, yeah. What was it? 12 inches of snow. Yes. The, the, the song, the big song's Informa, right? Informa, yeah, yeah. The one that nobody knows how to sing except yeah. I lick it boom boom down. <laughs> yeah. There's no, there's no other lyric. No, I mean. You I always he, need to lick it boom boom it. down. Yeah, he wings it. <laughs> they actually I remember like for years man like we had radio stations in South Africa would have these competitions to see who could rap that full lyric um, yeah, I, know, I, know, I know a dude that, that knows the, the words in full it's actually quite amazing I went to a wedding once and someone knew all the words to Vanilla Ice's Ice Ice Baby so I might know all the words to Ice Ice Baby all the words I might I used to we'd have to put it on so back in 1991 at Felt School uh, we got up and then we did an Afrikaans version of it Cause, I mean, that song was big in 1991. Yeah. So when we went to Feld School, we did it in Afrikaans, you know, like, all right, stop, and 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 then we went on. Don't ask me to finish it now. No, I won't. <laughs> Don't worry. Um, and that brings up, I think last time we brought up a band called Mr. Big. Oh, yes, yeah. yeah. And I think they're, they're a group of musicians who aren't spoken about a lot other than by perhaps musicians. Yeah, yeah. Because it was, they're an interesting one where they're a band that was put together by celebrated world-class musicians in California, Yeah, got together to make a rock band that was going to be commercial. Yeah. And I don't think that's often where you using top-class musicians to try and come together and do something commercial. I think a lot of them have collaborated on stuff before. Don't destroy the table. I'm trying not to. <laughs> I think um, it's not often that that happens where you, you're creating a commercially viable band off of just uh, monster successful yeah. Yeah, musicians, right? Yeah, and it's, it's, it's a weird one um, because... And their name's interesting as well. I mean, they, they were super vanilla. I mean, there was, there was nothing, I mean, but you must remember back in the 80s that that was selling, you know, every, every I mean, every A&R guy was trying to get the new Motley Crue, the new Def Leppard, yeah. the new Guns N' Roses. Uh, the new Poison, new Van Halen. Um, and they fell, I mean, there was, look, there was a lot of imitations. They just happened to be very good musos that, you know, I mean, look, they've, they've got some really good tracks. I mean, Green Tinted, 60s Mind, obviously the ballad to be with you. Um, but nobody, I think everyone just knew them as Mr. Big. Nobody actually knew how influential or how good those musos were. I mean, Billy Sheehan. Pat Pay, great drummer. Yeah, yeah. And then, of course, Paul Gilbert, Paul Gilbert. on guitar. Who's I mean, he had um, famous for having a screwdriver with plectrums on it. Hundred percent. I mean, he had. I don't know if you've heard his band of his, uh, Racer X. Yeah. With, yeah. Um, um, yeah. See, it's it's it's. He's, Marco he's, Miniman on drums. That's it. Yeah. Mm. No, he's, oh, that band is like. That's wild. So that's more very what I was saying about where you have these world class musicians who are trying to do something very musical, and they get together, they collaborate with other like known musical musicians yeah. then they'll create something like Racer X which isn't very commercially viable 100%, it's, it's sort yeah. of musician yeah. music a bit like dream theatre but I suppose or, as a muser you need to do that I mean like I mean, I know, I've got a lot of mates here in South Africa who've got heavy metal bands and their first their first love is heavy metal but I mean as a metal muser you're not going to make any money in this country and then sort of as their full time job they 
they play on studio albums for like Afrikaans musos, you know, or they go on tour with Afrikaans musos as the guitarist or the drummer or the bassist, you know, for the shows. Hmm. Um, I mean, that's where all the money is. I was actually, I was speaking to a mate of mine who works for Red Bull, um, more specifically sort of part of Red Bull music. And uh, he was telling me that uh, they, did a, they did a survey where the most listened to genre in the country is gospel. Mm. And number two is Afrikaans, you know, so there's a lot of money in the Afrikaans scene. So these guys are jamming away Monday through to Friday or whatever at Pud style and those type of places. And then on a Saturday, they go make no money. They've got to pay their petrol to go play a metal gig, but that's where their passion lies. Mm. And I suppose that's what Mr. Big and them did. I mean, they, I mean, these guys with the talent that they were having, they deserved a little bit of a commercial success. I think a lot of them like Billy Sheehan, I think he played bass for, for massive acts. Oh yeah, he's got such a he's got such a, a CV. Mm. All those guys do. I mean, if you see, I mean, I like take a guy like Alice Cooper for example. You must yeah. see the, the the awesome ensemble of of musos that he has in his albums. I mean, if you take uh, what's that album? Hey, stupid. I mean, he's got Slash from Guns N' Roses, Nicky Six from Motley Crue. I think Mick Mars from Motley Crue. I mean, there's a ton of musos there. Um, in those days, a lot of those guys were appearing on each other's albums. I mean, Slash was appearing on Michael Jackson albums. Mm. Um, Aches were just uh, swapping around. I mean, what's his name? Uh, Vinnie Peachy on drums. He appeared in a few different albums. Jimmy Bain. I mean, all those guys. Uh, Doug Aldrich. I mean, they were. They, they didn't have a. I mean, Doug Aldrich is one of them. He's such a great muso. And he just never really had a band. He's now settled down with Whitesnake for the last few years. Um, he was a Dio as well before Dio passed, but I mean, he never really had a band. He just session muso. Session musos. I just love that. Yeah, and I think growing up as a musician in this country, that was always your ambition or dream as a musician. Well, if you're going to make money, you're going to be a session muso. I mean, and you wanted to be a session muso. Yeah, it's incredibly difficult thing to do. Yeah, and of course, incredibly difficult thing to do. The the quality, the level of session musicians is extremely high yeah yeah. even 100%. in south africa no of course and uh i think one of the biggest things is in the 90s in particular there was this massive movement where recording studio time cost a lot of money yeah yeah so session musicians purely because they would get something done really quickly they'd be able to get a song right really fast yeah yeah they were worth their weight in gold just purely because they would save the, the record label so much money on 100%, studio time 100 percent 100%. And I mean, that's why you see so much of that um, in a lot of those 80s albums. If you go, mm. you know, go through the tape or the vi- uh, vinyl. Well, you look at Nathan East, for example, as a bass player. I mean, it's Michael Jackson, Madonna. Like, yeah, 100%. Just, Nathan yeah. East was the session bass player in the 90s yeah. um, in California. But um, yeah, I mean, I suppose there's, there's, there's always, you go, you're always, you're always going to have to balance it out. Passion project versus making a bit of Tom. I think the ideal scenario is to have made enough money to do something that you just want to do. No, a sure. bit like um, Joe Rogan did. Sure. Where the podcast has now taken him to the next level. Yeah, you know? yeah. Or just, uh, yeah, exactly. I mean, look, I mean, back in the 80s, and it was much easier in those days. I mean, you know, record labels were hungrier. I mean, there wasn't the internet. There wasn't uh, home studios, you know. So back in those days, I mean, these bands that are so seminal in these days, like Metallica and Maiden and whatever... They came out, played a few shows, boom, and they got signed. You know, and now it's much, much harder. Okay, except for Twisted Sister. It took Twisted Sister 10 years to get signed. They played, uh, I was actually watching their documentary the other day on Netflix. In 10 years, they played something like 3,600 shows. That's basically a show a day. They were playing in Manhattan Island in uh, New York City, and they were playing like they, they had residency at a club. They were playing Monday through to Sunday. 
Um, and it's quite interesting because going back to the whole thing of, of, of musicians and drugs, Twisted Sister have always been clean because they were playing every single day. This night, has, hasn't, he's never drank uh, since he was a kid. I mean, he got together with his wife, I think, when in, in his teens and they're still married. And uh, uh, what's the guitarist called? JJ French also, um, sober. And because they had no choice because they were, they were grinding it hard Monday through to Sunday. There was no rehabs like Motley mm. Crue disappearing record label because they, they they didn't have a record label backing them you know Tommy Lee and Nicky Six could um overdose on heroin almost die go to hospital and then have like a six month sabbatical and still come back and continue because a record label was carrying them yeah so it took to out of all those big acts from the 70s 80s it took the longest to get recognized it took them 10 years yeah and now it's so easy to get a record deal because it doesn't mean much right yeah 100%. You, you create albums so that you can go on tour whereas before you used to go on tour to try and sell albums yeah um, and yeah, all the like tours used to cost bands money, but it would promote their album. They'd make money selling albums. Yeah. Whereas now you're just trying to make good music, distribute it for nearly free online, so that you can go on tour, so that I'll make a tequila can stick some money in your pocket for having their sign behind you. Yeah, hundred percent. <laughs> so. And bands surprisingly make a lot of money out of merch. Like, I mean, the merch game. I mean, back in the 80s, obviously, Kiss made and some of those bands, I mean, they 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 perfected the merch game. I mean, I think Kiss in 1981 were, were releasing Kiss lunchboxes, you know. I mean, that, that was such a concept back in those days, you know, such a foreign concept. Whereas now, I mean, bands, I mean, you see, it's, it's comic books. It's They mm-hmm. make their own wine, their own whiskey. I mean, Megadeth has actually just launched their own cryptocurrency. Okay. Um, that's a bit weird. But, yeah, um, and then they'll probably all do NFT as well, right? Yeah, yeah. Mm. That, but although that, I think NFT, yeah, that's the biggest, uh, I don't know. What do you think of NFTs? <laughs> I think, <laughs> I, I'm i so scared to give my honest opinion on NFT because I was so wrong about Bitcoin in 2011. <laughs> I was so wrong about Bitcoin in 2011 that I, I'm going to be wrong about NFTs as well. But it just doesn't make sense. Yeah, it's, like it's, why um, physical art has a value, so now digital art has a value. That makes sense to me. That's fine. Sure. It's just how do you continue to perpetuate value based on the rights to your digital art, right? So yeah. if I animate a monkey and then every time that monkey is posted on Facebook, Facebook has to pay me two cents or whatever. Yeah then that's where royalties and rights to digital artwork make sense to me because it's like, cool, I'm investing a certain amount of money here that yeah. will then give me return. Or if you're buying, so, and then to take that back to the physical art space, of course, a, a physical piece of art's not necessarily going to make you money, but if you're an art collector and you've got a beautiful piece of art in your house that's only yours, yeah. you're walking past a unique individual piece of art yeah. um, every day that's yours, NFTs odd like that to me because everyone can go and view it on their phone and then you own yeah, you own it on your phone. So I think that is an odd one. I don't know how NFT will stick around, but it'll probably prove me wrong like Bitcoin. But I, um, I, I was adamant seen... that Bitcoin was going to disappear because the global governments would shut it down. No, because me too. Would, thought... You know, I thought, okay, good luck. <laughs> yeah, no, I was, I was on that boat too. But um, yeah, no, the NFT conversation, like, and I've seen a lot of um, brands launching limited edition NFTs one night only. And I mean, and, 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 and 
having sold none of them. Um, a perfect example now is WWE had their SummerSlam um, pay-per-view in August and John Cena came back. Obviously, John Cena, you know, now that he's changed them um, careers, he just comes back every now and then just to get, uh, mm, you like know. Like a Dwayne Johnson sort of yeah, thing. Yeah, like huh? the ratings up, especially when mm. WWE's ratings are down, then uh, they get John Cena for a match or two. So he had a, um, a championship title fight against. I think for anyone who race. doesn't pick this up straight away from this conversation, Carlos is a huge WWE fan. Don't say that. Huge <laughs> WWE fan. <laughs> We've all got um, little black marks in our lives. <laughs> but they they released uh, limited edition John Cena NFTs and they all sold, I think, 30. Was it or something ridiculous? Like I read a whole article about how unsuccessful it was. So, and I've read a lot about a lot of companies that have, well, a lot of artists that have just not been selling though, their NFTs. So I don't know. I don't know if it's going to, if it's going to, if it's going to stay. And I think the idea that the reason why NFT's grown so huge is that people see it as the next Bitcoin and they're like, cool, I'm going to invest now. Yeah. If I put $1,000 into something, yeah. uh, I'm going to sell it a year from now. Yeah. You know, that's the idea. Yeah, yeah. And I think if that doesn't become reality, if a lot of the people who have invested their $1,000 or $100 or whatever into several NFTs now at this stage, if that doesn't sell for them in two or three years in a massive way, then I think that's where NFT will be in danger. Yeah. Is if you're not seeing that people are getting gross returns on their investments on NFT yeah, in a couple of years. Yeah, it's too early now. Yeah. yeah. I just don't see it working out though. I don't know. <sighs> we probably just lack an understanding. I suppose, you know, with, with, so, you know, with, you can find everything on the internet at the click of a button, man. Yeah. You know, what makes one picture more much rarer than the other, unless you're just a complete diehard collector or you just want to show how big your dick is, I suppose. It's very much a collectibles thing, yeah. right? It's supposed to be sitting in the same realm as comic books. Sure, sure. And, no, of course, of course. But that's the figurines odd thing is that and, yeah. figurines and comic books live in a physical space, yeah. limited number of them. If someone drops one, it's gone. Digital yeah. there forever. So it, yeah. it loses that. And, no, and there's people creating new ones all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, whereas when Stan Lee died, there's not those comic books coming out anymore. No, whichever sure. he created, you yeah, know. Yeah. So there's not another like first edition Spider-Man. Yeah, yeah. No, book, I, I don't know. Like maybe, yeah. I think what I do know is that I know nothing about comic books. And that's what I'm <laughs> making very clear right now is that I know like all about comic books. I just say first edition Spider-Man because it's something I've heard before. I'm sure there's a few right? first edition Spider-Man. Yeah, like a, a first, there was a first appearance of a Green Goblin that sold for massive amounts of money yeah, because yeah. the comic book is from like 1978 yeah, or something no, stupid yeah. and it was yeah so it's yeah it's, uh, it's amazing what uh what collectors sort of latch on to what, what what gives things value i mean not right. only figurines but with comics and everything like it's i mean you get some figurines that came out in the 80s that that were basically discontinued because nobody wanted to buy them and now fast forward 20 25 years later they've got this massive value attached to them because they were only did a limited run of them and uh now, you know, now you've got collectors going to all these figurine shops in the States and in Canada and Europe mm. trying to find um, hey, I'd, I'd original on card. Of, of a really cool figurine store in Krugersdorp. Oh, nice. Like a really amazing store. There's some nice ones out here. I mean, there's one in Alberton called, oh, it's named after Superman, Smallville, Smallville Comics. Oh, right, yeah. It's got incredible things there. I mean, dude, and you can- And one near where I live, uh, Cosmic in Bedford View, there's that 
comic book warehouse or whatever. Yes, yes, yeah, that's got a big one. That's an interesting store because they've got that, um, there's like a vegan, they've got like a little uh, supermarket in there, then they've got a vegan restaurant, then they've got like these collectible classic cars. There's like, it's it's, it's a big, like it's a warehouse and they've actually managed to... um, it's probably one guy who has a few passions and, yeah, like and he's quite, he managed yeah. to get a warehouse and stuck everything in 100%, there, right? Yeah, it's a mm. nice place. I've got Cosmic Comics up here in um, Bayes Nudia. It's become a big thing. Uh, Euros yeah. of Games and Comics just here in Melrose. And superheroes are a pet peeve of mine. Really? Fucking <laughs> superhero shit. <laughs> I really don't no. like it. Like if there's another Avengers like movie, Abba. I will fucking... No, I think it's done, no. No, I don't But Marvel is a... Marvel's got China's a, eating that stuff up. It makes so much money. But Marvel's got a ton of new shows coming out from 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 the what's that Chinese guy Shi Sheng or whatever the hell his name is right. to Black Widow to Chinese, the Eternals. Chinese and, market's massive yeah, for them. Yeah. Massive for them. But um, but it's a pet peeve of mine. I hate it. And there's the story of that Joker movie, which I haven't seen yet. I should watch it before I say anything anyway. But the the the, the, the Joker, the new Joker movie with. Um, Joaquin Joaquin Phoenix yeah, no, I watched it and I was terribly disappointed because it's not actually even about the Joker I mean they've given him a different name it's do you know why it's n- not about the Joker yeah yeah I do so the, I do. the original script for that movie had been flying around Hollywood for 10 years yeah 10 years apparently masterpiece of a script brilliant uh, delve into the depth of how a person breaks and how yeah, yeah, how uh, they slowly descend into madness, right? Yeah. That's what the script was. And it 100%. was floating around Hollywood. No one would touch it for 10 years until they attached a DC Comics character Yeah, 100%. Yeah, they should never have touched it. Just release the movie as it is. Not that, not, not that I'm an old school, look, look, not that I'm an old school DC fan. Or American I mean, Psycho is a movie you wouldn't love, be able to make today. 100%. I used to love Batman and so obviously the Joker's a very important character in, 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 in the series and to have have you know to to have released that movie under the DC banner, and sh- you know sh- it showed like that that what's the word I'm looking for that deconstruction of of that man you know like it was. See, we are didn't enjoy it at all, man. <laughs> we are anti the Joker movie for the two opposite reasons. It was just it was it, it was, shouldn't have been a Joker movie. Hundred percent, no, but I agree with you. It should never have been a Joker mm. movie. It had, I mean, the. Uh, the, the message was there. The mm. message was loud and clear. You didn't have to go steal a character just to sell millions to to, to give your message. It's the only way they could attach someone like Joaquin Phoenix to it as 100%, well. 100%. 100%. But it's sad. It's really sad because if you watch, for me, American Psycho is a masterpiece movie. Masterpiece. Yeah, absolutely. American Psycho is top class. Incredible movie. Um, and what a performance by Batman. Um, yeah, Christian Bale. Christian Bale. Yeah. Who's rant at a light gaffer on film sets is still one of the most hilarious things I've ever heard in my life. He's a great actor. Great actor. He lost it at a lighting guy. Oh, really? You heard that? Have you no. heard that clip? No, no. Oh, yeah, I wish I could play it back to you. It's <laughs> hilarious. Just Google it. He absolutely loses it. And anyway, um, movies like American Psycho won't be made today just because they're not as commercially viable as some superhero of nonsense. Of course. Which is then again... It's sad for me because you take it from an art perspective and, and people aren't even able to make their art. They're not even able to make films in the way that they want to tell a story because There's it's no so adulterated by China, for example, yeah. where you want to tell a story and they have to get edit. You know, yeah, the Chinese yeah. semi-communist government in China has to have complete copy edit yeah. of a massive movie. Otherwise, it's just not commercially viable. They get they get that of everything. I mean, even if if a, if a band goes and plays in China, 
they have to get your set list before you play and they need to get the lyrics to every song. Um, when Metallica played in China, they actually changed a few of their choruses. Uh, they couldn't say certain words um, and they had to take change one or two of the songs because of the message. But at least it doesn't change the production for the entire planet, right? No, sure. But so um, that's them touring there, they change it no, for, sure, China. It's for cool. China. I don't mind that. But you change your market there in China. Yeah, it shows you how but strict it, they are. What's upsetting to me is that I'm sitting on a plane traveling to China um, and there's this massive list of incredible movies, incredible stories being told and I look around me and everyone's watching the fucking Avengers. Yeah, always. Nonsense. Always, yeah, yeah. Like whatever. But I mean, like, Avengers, let's watch Star people Wars, fly around. Yeah, anything Disney has now put their claws into. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, look, the 90s sort of was, was the last great decade for those type of movies. You know, we started going into the early 2000s and I mean, there was still a lot of- I think Netflix might be our savior for that. A lot of great movies came in the early 2000s, but then it slowly- Netflix you know, take enough risks for us to be creating incredible- series and movies you know first of all i think the 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 choice genre for storytellers has gone away from movies and into series yeah yeah Uh, whether it's long form series or like mini series just because it gives them more time to develop their characters develop their story things like that i mean you look at like something like breaking bad incredible Yeah, yeah incredible journey i've only watched four episodes it's it's amazing. You should watch Breaking Bad. <laughs> I just uh, everyone made such a big thing about it. And it's hard down. to get into. I was so yeah. I couldn't. I just couldn't sink my teeth into it. Did so you I was find? Like, nah. Did you find um, Game of Thrones hard to get into as well? Not at all. Eh? I was hooked in the first ten minutes. Yeah, I found. So it I'm, hard I'm, to I'm get not into. a big series guy um, because right. I've got short attention span. Mm. I can do a movie. ADD. Yeah, yeah, and no, it's bad. So it's hard for me to finish a series. I've um, very rarely, you know, there's this thing on Facebook where they've got like, I'm sure you've seen it, where they list like a hundred series and they're like put an X next to every series you've watched and then people share it and like 72, 65. And one day I decided to do it and I was like 11. 11. Of which like Friends and Seinfeld was like, the, uh, yeah, the thing is, I haven't finished Seinfeld if you've yet. watched 10 episodes or more, sorry, that was the thing. Oh, 10 episodes. Yeah, more. yeah. Okay. I got into, look, I'm big into fantasy. Um, I'm a big Lord of the Rings buff. So, um, I love knights and dragons and Game of Thrones was incredible. And Game of Thrones, what I really liked about Game of Thrones was it was they managed to put so many different worlds in one. You know, um, if you take the the continent of Essos, it really represented sort of, you know, Asia and Africa and all those 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 Phoenician traders and that type of stuff and those um, those um, uh, sort of Arabic. Um, nations and then if you take what was happening in king's landing that was very similar to what was happening during the french revolution with marie antoinette being um the queen what is her name oh, what is queen cersei oh, and right. then if you see what was happening in the north um it was very reminiscent of sort of old viking and um kind of scottish fables and things like that so there's so many different stories in one you know and, and that's what i really enjoyed they, and they develop characters from every 100 percent. the character development was just incredible and, and what i liked about it is that no character was safe you know, anything. I couldn't believe anything I was so could shocked. go. I remember the first time I watched Game of Thrones. It was before there was Netflix or anything here, um, and I wasn't watching it on Mnet. I was pirating it. Yeah, I had pirated copies that I got from someone somewhere. I don't know. And literally, the banner for the first season is uh, Sean Bean. The actor yeah. Sean Bean. He's also in Lord of the Rings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He Baromir. Was, he's like the main character, and I think he's dead like three episodes in or something. Episode in, nine, he gets beheaded. Yeah, gone. Yeah. Like, crazy. How wild is that? Crazy. It's no, like, it was. This is the just, main character. You expecting ten yeah, seasons from this guy? You just never knew it was gonna go. Like, and gone. You just, and you're shocked. You just never knew it was gonna go. I still was remember. Amazing. I still remember in, in season three 
Also, episode nine, the the Red Wedding, where Red Wedding. That's I mean, the, the, that's the pick of the bunch, right? The remaining like big members they killed off of them in one in one foul swoop. So, I enjoyed that because it's you know, no one was safe and you're always a little bit anxious, you know. Anyone who's bitching about spoilers now, you've had enough time to watch Game More of Thrones. More than enough. <laughs> you've had so much. It's been off More the air enough. for so long. But that's the thing, man. I like you know because sometimes you watch these movies that that create these like crazy. It's 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 so like the the principal character will go through hell you know you should have died a million times but he carries on going what i like about this is like they could good you know they could die you know if if the guy was up against the dragon or or if a guy was up against five oaks or the sword he was gonna die there was no like unrealistic expectation that he was gonna survive and be the hero that was gonna um, well the, which i like the expectation was actually the inverse right yeah you know you watch game of thrones and you're like oh fuck someone else gonna die don't, don't and what do was amazing again, is huh? how they and i mean you're speaking of woke culture and everything's how they empowered sort of the female characters and the i mean the the cripple that uh, brandon you know that he ended up becoming king and stuff they empowered the smaller characters the dwarf um i like that you know so it was pretty cool so at mm. the end of the day you had all these massive warriors i mean cal drogo died in the first season you know sean bean died in the first season you had all these which big, harry potter did in a way as well where all these big warriors you, you just build, going you build up harry potter the entire show and then the nerdy kid yeah sure from because i mean sometimes you have you have you have these shows where mm. where, where, where the protagonist goes through hell i mean you should have died 17 times and then at the end he survives but you're like come on you know yeah although that works for john wick <laughs> you know but so, i mean although, speaking of work culture although episode three got a bit too much like he should be dead already but I, um but the first I two watched any it john worked wick. Oh, i haven't are watched you even one john wick are you joking i haven't even watched five minutes of a john wick yes see i've watched each john wick at least 10 times <laughs> <laughs> love it it's my favorite it's i think my favorite all-time character it's okay. gonna i'm gonna get him tattooed on my leg yeah it's, it's just not available anywhere that i watch i just bought it on dvd uh, <laughs> but it's always on, on I'm not gonna buy DVD. i've got I'm, i don't I mean, even have a dvd player I, you know what i don't have a dvd player anymore as well i've just got all these old dvds but it's actually i've been watching it a lot on uh on mnet on channel i think channel 108 always got reruns and and, and uh, stuff like that on okay. dstv not mnet i'll find um, it yeah. Now I've got I've got a ton. So my, my DVD player, it was a home theater, you know, like those old school home mm. theater systems, it bombed out and I just never got it fixed. So I've got all these really cool I've got a really cool movie collection for especially from the nineties, like Empire Records, Mall Rats. That type of stuff, Dazed and Confused, uh How many of those movies can you make today? I mean almost nothing. Zero. Almost nothing. Breakfast. There's Club. just absolutely no interest Get in that Breakfast Club. I mean, past. imagine trying to do a Dazed and Confused now. You won't be able to. Let's not even go that far back. Try and make Tropic Thunder today. I forget it, but I mean, Tropic Thunder. <laughs> One <laughs> Robert, of the most Robert Downey Jr. will get fired immediately. Gone. Yeah, I know. There was actually One I, of the I read, most outrageously hilarious movies I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. No, I agree with you. I actually I read a whole thing. I wonder if you'd thing. be able to make the first Hangover movie. I read a whole thing about Tropic Thunder the other day about Robert Downey Jr.'s blackface and all that type of stuff. And uh, it's crazy to think that we're here now. It's not that long ago. Well, the first, yeah, the first Hangover. Even the first Hangover movie. Yeah. Or any of the Hangover movies. I mean, I, I bring up the first one because it's really the only one worth It's the only one worth watching because the rest are just the rinse third and one was The third one was really horrific. The, the rest second is just one, rinse and repeat. If you, had never, if you had never watched the first Hangover movie and you just watched the second one, masterpiece. Great. Yeah. No, sure. But, but sure. I mean, they just took the template from the no, first movie. No, it was rinse and repeat, and 100%. It right, yeah. it's exact, so, I mean, everything happened at the exact same time. And they paced it exactly the same 100%. way, whatever, which is, I mean, fine. If that's but they do that a lot to sequels. I mean, I've seen a lot of that, especially these comedic sequels. They just they uh, follow a specific formula and yeah. they they just they have take a recipe own. for an yeah, episode, 100%. right? But like a Family Guy, let's make a recipe for an episode yeah. which 
It's amazing in that Family South Park. Has, it's amazing that South Park has survived throughout this whole thing. Because I mean, I think because they started early enough. They've been I releasing this so many recently. great pandemic episodes and vaccination episodes. You wouldn't be able to make South Park. I mean, now. you wouldn't start it from scratch. You no, wouldn't no, be able to. No, no. forget it. No, no forget it. It's still no flying way. high, but, but I mean, you're right because sure. it's been around. But they've got, they've got immunity because they've been sued from day one. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. South Park sort of have free reign to say yeah. what they want because they've been sued from day one, and they've. They've got away with it for however long. No, Let's sure. see how long they can get away with it. But you would never be able to start fresh with a South Park-like TV No, show. no, you wouldn't. You, you would wouldn't. never be able you'd to. You'd struggle. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you'd struggle. Yeah. And I think I watched the Motley Crue Dirt biopic, which is based on the biography. Yeah. I think I bought this T-shirt after that. <laughs> what a wild movie! So I what mean, a wild so, run they so went on. I've got yeah. So I, I mean, I, I've I'm, I'm I'm a massive Motley Crue fan. I mean, I've even got one of my favorite Crue songs tattooed over here. Um, so I read The Dirt oh, years ago. I think 2005. I actually bought it. I read it, um, and it's crazy. They left so much shit out. Let me just tell you. I mean, mm. like what you saw. Compared that, to the book. Compared to the book, it was just the tip of the iceberg. So much so that when the movie came out, because it came out now in these sort of woke times, Nikki Six came out and he said that no, they um, that they lied a lot in the book. That they um, for the sake of trying to blow their their characters out, you know, they're these, you know, out of proportion to try and make them sound like they're these crazy rock stars that they lied a lot. Which is I mean, he's he's obviously now just trying to save face because there's there's, there's, there's a story in the book where they were taking turns having sex with a girl who was drugged and she didn't know she was having sex with all four mm. of them. I mean, that's rape. Mm. You know what I'm saying? You know, so um, he's backtracked a hell of a lot saying yeah, that Yeah, and they, a lot of the stories are substantiated by other people. That's the thing, right? Yeah. A lot of their stories are horrific. No, crazy. They did some, I mean, they did some Six, crazy things. He, when he really fell into despair, it was after the death of the the friend in the car accident. Oh, Vince Neil. Vince Neil. Vince Neil, yeah. yeah. But that, that was early on. That was 83. So they were celebrating the South uh, Shout at the Devil tour. So they were celebrating the success of their second album, Shout at the Devil. Yeah, that was just nuts. But um, but they did some crazy things with women. I mean, mm. uh, and um, yeah, it's totally crazy self-indulgent madness that you know now i mean nikki six was the first to come out and just because he's been very much on the woke culture bandwagon and when this movie came out a lot of people went and got the book and they were like hold on <laughs> but you did this that and the other you know so um yeah yeah listen that book is wild and i don't know if you've read uh, the heroin diaries mm -hmm. so um so as we were saying earlier during the girls 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 um tour uh, Nikki Six got hectic into heroin again, and um, so much so that I think they cancelled bits of the tour because he he refused to get out of his house. He became so paranoid he was living in his walk-in closet. I and, remember that. And he kept a diary of that. So he had this woman that would visit him daily to shoot up with him and have sex with him. And this went on for like months. And he kept a diary of it. Like, let me tell you, it's absolutely disgusting. You know, you grow up idolizing these people because, you know, the, you know, it's the basis of Motley Crue. Oh, wow, look how cool he is. I mean, in those days, Nikki Six was covered in tattoos. Not, not, you know, I mean, sleeves weren't big in the 90s. Mm. You know, and he was like two sleeves and whatever. And I thought he was such a hero. I'm like, what a champion. And you read this book and you read how... Um, yeah, you know, like deconstructed this person has become, how um, filthy this person is, you know, how devoid of, of, of morals and, and values, you know, and you're like, wow, this was my hero growing up. <laughs> it's so a hard read. When I put that down, I was like, I still remember watching Motley Crue because I've seen Motley Crue four times and 
just looking at him obviously as, as a fan and thinking no fam <laughs> well done. drug abuse is a massive killer of empathy and that's one no, of the sure. things is people who consi- who use drugs consistently over a longer period of time they become devoid of empathy through no fault of their own but it's purely a symptom yeah. of drug use 100% and I've found I've got a, a very interesting book about drug use with the Nazis okay uh, during World War Two. basically the the entire German public was on crystal meth during that period. Oh, wow. The drug is called Pervitin. Okay. So this was an over-the-counter medication like what we would call Bioplus today. Oh, okay. It was just a stimulant. It was yeah. something you could just go into a pharmacy, get yourself some Bioplus so that you can get through the day and work harder. Yeah. And obviously during wartime, a large mass of the German public had to work extended hours to try and produce enough uniforms uh boots machinery equipment whatever they needed for the war effort yeah uh, food everything so the country had to be more productive so they really promoted the use of this drug called pervitin yeah which chemically is very similar to crystal meth wow so it was a a massive stimulant used across the entire population of the German public, let alone just Nazis or Adolf Hitler himself or whatever, like the really crazy Nazi groups. And I think this sort of provides a little bit of insight to that question that we sort of all ask is like, how did a civilized nation of people descend into such a horrific period in our history? Like how were they so accepting of what the the Nazi revolution was doing or what Adolf Hitler or whoever of the Nazi generals were able to get away with that the public was accepting of. And I think that perhaps could explain that is that this devoid, becoming devoid of empathy uh, through just regular drug usage. And I mean, and nationalism was still a big thing in those days. So, you know, the, the Nazi war machine with all its propaganda... Well, you know, you very, know, we, very socialist, right? You know, we we, we speak of, of of Uncle Sam and whatever. You know, do the right thing for your country, whatever. It was really what, what was about that. You know, I actually watched a movie. Uh, uh, there's there's actually there's a series on Netflix. Uh, I think it's called Becoming a Dictator or How to Become a Dictator, whatever. Where they speak about Idi Amin and, and Adolf Hitler and a couple of those um, Fidel Castro and those guys and and. Hitler really just, uh, he was so good at, I mean, his, his war machine was so good at brainwashing the people. Yeah, the propaganda machine was I mean, incredible. It was just incredible. I mean, he is the first world leader to elect a minister of propaganda. 100%, yeah. You know, they, so um, he realized the importance of propaganda yeah. in what he and that's how I got everybody. Achieve. That's how he got everybody on his side. I mean, For sure. I mean, over and above <laughs> dragging them. He but, was um, also an incredible orator. Of course, yeah. Very passionate. Uh, you'll be hard pressed to find an Adolf Hitler speech where he's not screaming and shouting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was very, which very, was, very passionate. Yeah, yeah. Which is effective and effective but that's the thing, propaganda you, tool. I mean, you know what? They, you'll follow a guy like that. You know, if if you see a guy that's so charismatic, so passionate, so um, you know, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, effervescent, even. I mean, you know, then you're just like, that's my guy. I'm going to follow that guy. You know, and I mean, the guys that came before him didn't have that so he tried to overthrow the government in the early days of the nazi um of the nazi party they tried to actually launch a coup against the german parliament at the time and they failed and this is when he went to prison yeah so this was before he was leader but he was the party leader at that time yeah Uh, the other thing i think a lot of people don't know about them is that the ideology 
of the Nazi Party was not created by Adolf Hitler at all. No, it wasn't, no. It was created by a playwright who was a drunkard. It was Saddam Hussein that they were having a, uh, meet, and then, a, a, a meeting of, of like president, vice president, ministers, whatever, and he walked in with his cronies and he cleaned the place out. And he was I like, think, right, now I'm in charge. <laughs> Let's I do think this. The, the cool thing about Saddam Hussein that also a lot of people don't know, and we, because of American media, how we perceive Iraq is this barren desert yeah. wasteland of people who are just like sort of sand people, unintelligent, uneducated, yeah. and, and devoid of modern social skills or modern society or modern politics or anything. Yeah. Meanwhile, Saddam Hussein's entire compound overlooked the ruins of Babylon. Literally, he was the leader of the birthplace of modern civilization. Yeah, yeah. You know, but he was the society. champion. He was the champion of the people as well. I mean, he did so much for the people and, and that's how he got them to, to back him. Yeah. I mean, he was going into the, the villages, into the homes. You know, he was, I was saying they didn't have food. He was getting food deployed into every home. Um, and whilst he was doing this, he was cleaning out. I mean, yeah, I think it was in the 70s, somewhere in the late 70s, they had this, this council meeting and he just cleaned them out one yeah. night. Thanks for coming. I'm in charge now. And, then and nobody saw anything wealth. wrong with that because of what he was doing to the community. Mm. Same story with, uh, I suppose a lot of these guys are very much the same. Um, that notorious uh, drug, drug dealer um, from, from Colombia, what's his name? Pablo uh, Escobar. Pablo Escobar. I mean, he became the champion of the people, building yeah. soccer fields, building, I mean, he... Town of the town of the village of the village of the village named after him, where he and provided the, everything. The Colombian police and the Colombian politicians fighting a battle with Pablo Escobar wasn't in their best interest. No, hundred percent. They were forced into it by the American government. Yeah, and um, yeah, they were losing. They were losing the fight against Pablo Escobar yeah. until the DEA eventually got hold of him. But I mean, I saw a very I saw a very cool movie with Penelope Cruz about uh, called. Um, something Escobar but in love with Pablo oh wait just hold on just hold on I need to Google it I need to get Penelope Cruz get the name right it's it's a really good movie it was on one of the channels Um, yes look Penelope Cruz is a great actress she makes a lot of noise but fuck she's a great actress we're nearly at an hour are we nearly at an hour oh so name's Sanchez no wonder I like her alright there we go Um, Penelope Cruz she's Penelope Cruz Sanchez Filmography. Can we disagree on something else? That she's a great actress. Just liking her in general. No, look, I don't like her. She's a bit noisy. <laughs> she gives me the heebie-jeebies, but she's good. I'm not a fan. Oh, there we go. It's called Loving. It's called Loving Pablo. But the full name of the movie is something like, hey, yeah, Loving Pablo, Hating Escobar. Right. It's it's based on uh, one his, of his girlfriends, or what? Yeah, Virginia Vallejo, who was a the a, mutual porter. Yeah, there we go. So it's basically about mm. her relationship and 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 with him. So loving Pablo but hating the man Escobar. It's actually it's a very poignant title. I really like it. Very good movie. You must check I haven't it out. Seen it. I will watch it. You just have to get past all her screeching and she screeches a lot. I watched the Netflix um, biopic, whatever the the series. Oh yes, I've also seen that. That now they've got the Mexican one. Was it Narcos? Narcos, yeah. Amazing. She screeches a lot. That's my problem uh, with her. But she's a good actress. Pictures. But she screeches I a lot. I love that hilarious bit that Family Guy have of her. I, I've never watched one episode of Family Guy. I must just. Uh, oh, you have to. I must just put it out there. <laughs> you have to. Just get get onto Netflix. Just catch up. No, on no, no. So everyone's hilarious. always telling me to, and I just never do, man. I uh, I'm bad with like I told you earlier. I'm bad with. Series. So they're a bit like South Park in the way that they. Yeah, 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 yeah. No. Like I've seen skits, I've seen bits and pieces, mm. and you know, mm. people send you things, but I've never actually followed a few right. episodes. And 
there's a really hilarious bit about Penelope Cruz where they make fun of her nose. Oh, and okay, they say true. she looks like a horse. She's got. And then know. they interview her. <laughs> they interview her at a movie premiere, but then they think that she's Seabiscuit acting in a movie. <laughs> Very funny. No, she's a good actress, but mm. she's hell of irritating. Uh, I liked her in that Tom Cruise movie, though. Uh, which one was it? Vanilla Sky? Vanilla Sky. Good movie. Yeah, it was all right. Good movie. She's a good actress. Enjoy. Like, I mean, Listen, she was also good in Blown. Let's, let's, she screeched a bit there, too. Let's give Tom Cruise a little bit of props, because it's very, very popular right now to shit on Tom Cruise. Nobody likes him, eh? Why does no one like Tom I don't know. Cruise? It's because of the Scientology. I thing, think it's probably. because yeah, and I think it's because they think that he's a reptile and he's drinking adrenochrome and not Which aging. He is. That's what Scientology is. You know, I think they think he's part of Pizzagate and, and but, Hillary Clinton and all this. But let's all, give Tom Cruise a little bit of credit. How good is Tom Cruise? I think he shot. They shot a new fucking Mission Impossible movie where they had stunts with a helicopter. Where they like they had to fly a helicopter like between two mountains or whatever. And he's like, I'll do it. Oh wow! How old is he? Too old. Too old for how he looks. Yeah, he's, I mean, but it's all this children's blood. That's exactly it. <laughs> it's Him, adrenochrome. <laughs> J-Lo and Madonna. The three of them, definitely. There's, uh, I've, got a, I've got a mate who's really into, into um, conspiracies. That whole, that whole thing, yeah. Right. Um, so yeah, he always sends me some interesting <laughs> articles. It has to be. How do they look so good? What do uh, they have? I don't know. I don't what do they have that we don't? Or the article about Obama's wife actually being a man and oh, crazy man, stuff man. Michelle Michelle Obama and That's then they like show like check out she's got man arms and hmm. crazy stuff she's just strong anyway there's there's a lot of children going missing and there's a lot of young looking actors and actresses listen, so. listen <laughs> you don't even need to go digging into conspiracies and stuff to find some squirrely shit in Hollywood did you, like, did, if did you, you ever get to at, read about Pizzagate if you just look at Weins, uh, like Weinstein Harvey yeah. Weinstein and then um, who's the one who didn't kill himself in prison uh, Epstein Epstein Jeffrey Epstein yeah, yeah. that's squarely I see his homie now is in a bit of shit uh, Maxwell yeah Gilan just, uh, just Gilan Maxwell is that how you pronounce yeah. it yeah so my mate is big, big into conspiracy theory he started talking about Jeffrey Epstein months before he got arrested and I was like Jeffrey who yeah and he was like no he's part of these 18 names these indictments and I'm like are you crazy bro and then next thing you know this thing happens and he gets arrested the, and he was calling it the and I'm scary like, thing about conspiracy like, oh, theorists shit. is that when they're right it fuels this whole thing of theirs where it's like you were right about one thing so that means all 20 things that I've said yeah, all the yeah. ludicrous shit that I've said before now yeah, has yeah. some validity yeah which like, I mean what, I wouldn't which, be surprised if a few of them are right I mean well there's that um, there's a lot of stuff that's super rooted in reality Alex Jones guy do you know Alex Jones? No, no. From Infowars. So he's banned from everything, like Twitter, <laughs> Facebook, YouTube, whatever. So you can only go view his content if you go to his website. To his website. The guy is a fucking crazy guy. No, it sounds like a bit like, like David Icke and those Ikes. So he's crazy. Like yeah. Alex Jones is crazy. He's like a crazy conspiracy theorist, whatever. And they finally got him on one thing where he went hard at something being fake, but it was legit. And there were like families involved and people were like killed. And he went hard and like, these people are paid actors from the deep state. <laughs> Fucking losing it, right? <laughs> he was wrong about that. And he came out and apologized about being wrong about that. But that's how they got him. Like that's how oh, eventually, because wow. they've been chasing him for a while, like the social media networks. Yeah. Alex Jones is surprisingly, I hate him. Like he's a fucking crazy guy. Yeah, yeah. He's surprisingly right about a lot of stuff, which yeah. is scary. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the... 
at a stage, I mean, look, my, you know, like, you know, it was QAnon stuff. I mean, my mate was coming with all this like info from QAnon and I was like, but who's this Q? But he was getting a lot of stuff right. Um, but lately things have gone a little pear-shaped for Q and his followers. <laughs> I think COVID is one of the big things for conspiracy theorists. Yes, right? so they, it's been making them... Um, and um, Yeah, they've been them wrong nuts. about a lot of it. Yeah, no, 100%. They have. So there's the one conspiracy that I sort of buy into that it was made in a lab, um, but not because of some villainous horrible thing that they yeah. try to make it on purpose. They make these sort of viruses in labs all the time so that they can try to find cures for them before yeah. they actually come out. I can buy into that because I, I don't think it was a bet from one of those no, wet markets. So <laughs> the more I think like about it, the more I think it was definitely made in a So the in scientific community sort of thinks it was made in that lab in Wuhan yeah. because of its... A lot has come out of that. Well, its um, incapability to survive in UV light. Yeah. So it, it's only sort of handles artificial light it struggles with uv light which suggests that it could possibly have been made in that lab but again it's a lab that studies viruses yeah it just escaped that lab yeah it's and what that's what it seems like to me anyway carlos thank you so much for being on the podcast i always like to finish with did we have to end with covid we had to end with covid oh man what do you want to end with Uh, not covid okay (laughs) Some music or some... Okay, let's let's go back to music. Or Sophia Loren. Let's end with Sophia Loren because you've got it tattooed on your forearm Don't and I'm quite a up. fan. <laughs> I'm a big fan of Sophia Loren. I've been fanboying her again lately. But I just... Uh, I, this is going to just be an Italian tattoo. Oh, I'm just Italian woman. As much as I can get. Don't put my ex-girlfriend, please. <laughs> Don't be like uh, Icardi who stole his best friend's wife and then tattooed his... Um, his three kids on his body. Remember that? The football players play for PSG. It's horrible. How crazy is that story? His best friend was at Maxi Lopez who were playing the same soccer team. They're both Argentinian. Stole his wife and had three, obviously his friend had three lighties and then he... He tattooed the lighties. And then he tattooed the lighties on... I don't even know that story. Yeah. How are you telling me that? That I don't know? I don't know, bro. That sounds too crazy for me to not know. Icardi's a crazy guy. Did you hear about this thing of Karim Benzema, by the way? No, so he's one? been charged in yeah. Spain, in France, for, um, for for bribery. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. He bribed Matteo Valbuena for a sex tape. Yes, I remember that. Like yeah. he, that's why he didn't play for France yeah, for yeah, the longest it was time. For quite a long so time. he's got what I think it's like a five-year suspended sentence or something yeah. out of it. So if he commits <laughs> any other crimes, which all the footballers seem to have gotten into trouble for tax fraud crimes in Spain. Yeah. So that could be scary for him if he did do any of the tax fraud crimes that all the footballers did in Spain. They seem to have all been advised by some sort of accountant to avoid paying taxes. Yeah. They all got suspended sentences, but now he's got this one looming. So yeah. that could be trouble for Kareem Benzema. Yeah, but, but the one that's looming is it in a French court? Yeah, but still European courts. Well, I don't know. We'll see. But, um, Let's see what happens. He did score this weekend, so we can end on a what positive. What a player. On a positive. Yeah, he is, he's very good. Right, ending on a positive. <laughs> Carlos Sanchez, thank you for bringing up your ex-girlfriend. Carlos Sanchez is currently looking, ladies. Did I bring it up twice, eh? <laughs> no, I don't know how many times. You just said Italian. Um, so thank you so much for listening to the show. I like to finish every show with one thing. Look into that camera and say fuck something. This camera right here. This one? Yeah. Fuck something, like yeah. whatever something. topic. Choose something. Fuck FC Porto. <laughs> fuck the Avengers fam I'm a thank big you. 
<laughs> I'm a big Iron Man fan. Okay, wait, let yeah, me I'm, do a new luckily one. Luckily, I'm not wearing one. my Iron Man socks. Let me do a new one. Fuck cucumber. <clears throat> no, cucumber's great. It's the pits, bro. All I salads like are the pits. Lettuce is a disaster. No, that's a disease. <laughs> the fuck are people having lettuce for? I don't know, bro. All it's my got the nutritional value of water. No, bro, all my wraps and burgers come without lettuce. My most of my well, most of my burgers just come with meat on the bun. <laughs> so it's not really a burger. <laughs> At least a bit of sauce. No, of course, of course, yeah. Anyway, fuck superhero movies. Great. Okay, wait. Fuck Hollywood. That's wow. better. That's a good one. I mean. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the Marco Martins Revolution. If you want to host a podcast just like this one, hopefully yours is a little bit different. Uh, go to podcasttv.com forward slash revolution and get yourself a discount on your first order of a podcast. See you next time. Thank you. Bye-bye.